for a few minutes about what it means to be a good neighbor. And in fact, I want to start by asking you this question. You can uh, just say to the person who's next to you or the wall or the cat or wherever you are right now, like, who is your neighbor? Who's your neighbor, uh, maybe on the left of your house? Who's the neighbor to the right? Who's across the hallway or across the road? Who do you know really well? Uh, Whose name do you know? Who's doing really well right now? Who's struggling? This has been such an interesting time for neighborliness right now, hasn't it? Uh, Whether you've been looking on the Nextdoor app or social media or watching the news, we've seen some incredible examples over the last few weeks of good neighborliness. We've seen people going miles out of their way to care for people, to help medics, medics helping us, people keeping their distance from one another. It's been brilliant. I I heard of uh, one of our vintage Pasadena uh, people who wrote to everybody in their apartment block and said, hey, if you're really struggling, I'd be delighted to do um, some shopping for you. Just some incredible things. But we've also seen some really sad stories about neighborliness, haven't we? We've seen stories of selfishness. Even over the weekend, if you've been watching the news, we've seen protests and we've seen parties and just really crazy different things of hoarding and stuff going on, which is so not great stories of neighborliness. Um, But I feel like neighborliness is a big deal right now. It's a big deal in our community. It's a big deal in our world. And it's a big deal for us as a church. And so for a few minutes, I want to look at a parable with you. It's a parable that Jesus told. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you ever went to Sunday school back in the day, then you probably looked at this parable. You might also know this is a parable that's primarily actually really answering the question, how do you inherit eternal life? But like many of Jesus' parables, they operate on different levels. And as we talked about heaven last week and eternal life, I'm going to take it on the second level, which is really asking this question. Who is your neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And so uh, we're going to have our reading now. Luke 10, 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, 
go and do likewise. So there's a Jewish man who is traveling down from Jerusalem, which is about 3,300 feet above sea level, down to Jericho, which is actually a little bit below sea level. It's a journey of about 13 miles, very steep, very rocky, a mountain kind of pass. Probably looked a little bit uh, like this slide that's just coming up on your screen now. If you think about maybe coming down from the top of Mount Wilson down into Pasadena on a very hot August day, you probably got a bit of an idea. And as the man takes a journey, he comes across three different groups of people who I want to look at for a minute. Uh, Two who show an appalling way of being a neighbor and one who answers the question of how to be a good kingdom neighbor. So the first set of characters that the man encounters are robbers. We don't know why the robbers were there. We don't know if it's about desperation. We don't know if it's greed. We don't know if it's poverty. We don't know what's going on. But as the man comes down the mountain path, the robbers grab hold of him. They take his possessions. But more than that, they beat him. They leave him by the side of the road dying. Now, the attitude that they have is very simple. It's this. What's yours is mine and I'll take it. Basically, it's this. Whatever I want, whatever I need, I will take it. It doesn't matter if it's expensive, anyone or anything else. Now, it's easy for us to pass judgment on these robbers. The way that they treat the man is so much more than need. It's pure evil, as Jesus told him. But here we have an example of incredible selfishness. My needs are more important than your needs. So what is yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. But then as the man lies dying at the side of the road, he comes across a second set of characters. He comes across the priest and the Levite. Now, these were really important religious figures in their community. They were supposed to set the moral, the religious, ethical tone in their community. They were probably going up to Jerusalem in order to fulfill their religious duties, to lead services, to... uh, But as they come across this Jewish man at the side of the road, we don't know exactly what's going through their mind. Maybe it's because there's a dead body or looks like a dead body. And they think if they're to touch the dead body, they're going to become ceremonially unclean. And so therefore they won't be able to fulfill their duties. They won't be able to do their job. So therefore it's going to affect their livelihood. We don't know if it's that. We don't know if it's because they look at the man and think, hold on, this looks like a trap. And so therefore the, you know, safety is a question. We don't know if this, they think, oh, this is some sort of con. This man should be going up to get some benefits or he should be calling an ambulance or something. Um, it would be wrong to help. We don't know if it's a question that actually they just feel like they're going to be made late if they stop. But for whatever reason, these people do not stop. They cross over to the other side of the road and they carry on journeying along. Their attitude, you might say, is this. What's mine is mine and I'll keep it. Basically, yes, of course I would help if a situation came up, but I'm not going to risk my health, my safety, my schedule, my lifestyle, my comfort for the sake of others. Sure, I'll help if it doesn't cost me. What the priest and the Levites show is an incredible protectionist attitude. In the question of who is my neighbor, the answer that the priest and the Levite give is really this, who is not my neighbor? Like the robbers, they show the same attitude. I am more important than you. I will not help because what I need is more important than what you need. But then after seeing these two awful examples of neighborliness, along comes a third man, a Samaritan man. 
Now, Samaritans were the natural enemies of Jews. Uh, they came from similar Jewish lineage. If you think back to Joseph and his Technicolor dream cloak way back in the day, Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Out of Ephraim and Manasseh, those two tribes came the Samaritans. Samaritans felt that they had the religious high ground, that they were the true people of God. Of course, the Jews also thought they were the true people of God. And so therefore the two people did not get on at all. If anyone was going to see a Jewish man at the side of the road and have an absolute right, an expectation that he was going to turn, walk away, this would be the Samaritan man. But instead, what we see is a kingdom response to how to be a neighbor. It goes like this. What's mine is yours. You have it. What's, sorry, what's, your, what's mine is yours and you have it. In verse 33, it says that he was moved with compassion in the English standard version. He shows incredible care for the man. If you see in verse 34, he offers first aid to him. He calls an ambulance or at least a donkey, I guess, which should have been the ambulance at the time. Verse 35 pays for like a month's worth of hospital treatment. Like this is incredible, true neighborliness. This is what it means to care for somebody. What's mine is yours and I'll give it. But you notice the kind of neighborliness this is. This is not caring for our best friend. This is not caring for our family member. This is not doing the expected or the minimum. This is doing the maximum. Who is my neighbor? Who is the man's neighbor? Jesus asked. And the man replies, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus says, go and do likewise. What the Samaritan man does is kingdom transformational servanthood and care for another. And I want to look at this just very briefly for a few minutes of the three ways that this changes everything about how we deal with being a good neighbor. The first is this. Neighborliness changes those we help. That's a really obvious thing to say. Bluntly put, the, man, the Samaritan man saves the Jewish man's life. But the point that Jesus is making is that this is an exaggerated action. It's beautiful. It's unexpected. The Jewish man shouldn't have been helped in a way. They didn't know each other. The Samaritan man had every right to go on his way. Where others, though, were centered on self. Where others were centered on their own agenda, their own needs. The Samaritan man cared for another. Neighborliness, as Jesus defined it, is caring for whoever is in front of us who has need, irrespective of who they are, of what their background is. There's been all this stuff, hasn't there, going around these last weeks about COVID-19. I've read a couple of articles saying how much of a leveler COVID-19 because it affects every single different group of people. And of course, on some levels, that's totally true, except that it's massively different depending on your living situation. You know, if you're living at home alone right now, it's a totally different situation to if you've got screaming kids at home, which is a totally different situation as if you're quietly just working at home in your garden. If you've got access to an income, it's different if you've been made unemployed or you're living on the streets. If you have access to healthcare, it's totally different if you don't have access to healthcare. In fact, COVID-19 is massively disproportionate in its effects on some of us struggling in our community. I saw a stat this week saying that mental health hotline here in the United States has seen an 891% increase in calls. Being a good neighbor means seeing a need wherever and whenever it might arise and responding out of a place of compassion. 
I think sometimes we see the spiritual gift of hospitality and care as really about how we help the people who are just like us. Maybe right now you're thinking about how you're looking forward to having a dinner party with somebody that you haven't seen for a while, going and grabbing a coffee. Jesus says neighborliness is actually a different thing altogether because neighborliness is to care for anyone and anyone wherever they might have need. In fact, Jesus says to refuse to do that, to turn the other cheek, to walk away when we see need is basically to say what is mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. So neighborliness changes the world around us. It changes situations. But neighborliness also changes us, which is great because it's the very thing in which we were designed to be. Uh, Time Magazine recently gathered a load of scientific data and studies which show overwhelmingly that we as human beings are at our most happy when we are giving things away. Uh, Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. We were people who were designed to give away, to be caregivers and not just self-givers. And that's really counter, I know, to society. You know, Jesus says this of the most important, power, most important commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now that's extremely challenging when you take Jesus's view of neighborliness. It's not Jesus being a bit egotistical and saying, hey, it's all about me. It's actually recognizing that life has an order. That in order for us to live well, we do need to know that God is in charge, that God is over all things, that God cares for us and he loves us and he's doing all things for good. But we also have to learn what it means to love others in the same way that we love ourselves and not just the others who are like us, not just the others who we get on really well with, but maybe the others in need who we pass on the street corners of Pasadena, the others who are homeless right now, the others who are in all sorts of need. You know, this is a really interesting time. I spoke last week about you know, anxiety. I spoke about uh, how in 2008, I had to lead a business through the financial crisis and had a business with staff that went from turning a good profit to making a very significant loss and, and how I had to really battle with anxiety. Now, if I'm honest, some of the anxiety that I was facing that time was because I was worried about, you know, the people who I was employing and how they were going to make ends meet and all those things. But if I'm also honest, a lot of it was really about me. It was about my career. It was about whether my reputation, about my ability to be a businessman, my ability to provide for my wife, whether or not I was going to be able to pay rent next month, whether or not it was going to turn out okay. Now, the reality is I had a whole massive support network around me, which was way bigger than most of the support networks that many people are facing right now. But it still felt like an anxious time. Now, I don't want to make light of anxiety because anxiety is a really big deal right now. But for me, one of the things that so helped over the years to come was a recognition that I'm called to just care for much more than just myself. That actually, when I learned to just take my focus off myself, my needs, my desires on what, why I want my goal, be achieving what I want to achieve in life, I started to focus a little bit more on others. And not just the others who are like me, but the others out in the world. When I realized that God had placed a calling on my life to show God's love to the needy, to the lost, to the least... And that started to transform me and not just transform others. Actually, I started to find peace. Peace when I realized that God is in charge and he's called me to care for other people as much as I care for myself. You know, our, our economy, our uh, whole society is geared around desire, isn't it? Advertising tells us all the time, just get what you desire. It's not get what you need, it's get the things that are gonna make you feel good. But I don't know if you've noticed that most of the things that they tell you are gonna make you feel really good don't seem to work beyond 10 minutes after you've bought the thing. 
because it just doesn't fulfill the whole of happiness that we have. And in fact, right now, a lot of us are in withdrawal. We are like almost like in a medical state of withdrawal because some of those things that we just constantly stuffed our lives full of are being ripped away from us. Maybe like right now, you just can't go whenever you wanted to, to your favorite restaurant and hang out. Maybe you can't even go to the gym. You can't go to the mall to get your shopping fix. You can't even go on Amazon to get one day delivery because Amazon Prime is no longer one day. It's about a five week delivery or something like that right now. Everything has changed. And if you found yourself like reaching for a bottle or a glass of something or a substance or just doing unhealthy behavior, a lot of it is to do with the fact that we are just literally having to withdraw from this desire-based world. But it's an amazing opportunity because it's an opportunity for us to realize that giving, caring, loving others is the way that we were designed to be. What mine is yours and I'm supposed to give it from a place of compassion. Jesus said this, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Now we read that all the time. It's like, oh, God is really down on money. We should like hate money. But that isn't actually what Jesus is saying at all. Unfortunately, there's a little paragraph uh, gap in our English translations, but it's not there in the original text. And Jesus goes on and says, therefore I tell I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is life not more important than food and the body more important than clothes? What Jesus is saying is that when we focus on ourselves, when we think what's mine is mine and we've got to protect it, we've got to keep it, we've got to hold on to it, we've got to hoard it, then actually that's exactly where we find worry. But when we learn not to focus on the things that we need, but focus on God and how we give and how we care for others, that's actually how we find happiness. Martin Luther, who's a very famous theologian 500 years ago, reformer, said this, sin, sin is a life turned inward on itself, a self-obsessed life, whereas the kingdom life is a life turned outwards, outward to God and outward to our neighbors. And then finally this, uh, then when we are good neighbors, it changes the environment around us. You know, the truth is that increasingly we live in a world where people are very suspicious about Christianity. You know, maybe 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, I don't know, people would have come to find a pastor if they had a need. They'd have gone to look for the answers in a church. But increasingly, I think in young people today find those kind of answers in totally different places. And in fact, look at the church and think, man, the church is the very issue because the way that the church shows neighborliness, the way that the church judges and doesn't care for people is actually a really negative experience. On Easter Sunday, I turned on the BBC News, very British of me, I know. On the BBC News website, there were just two articles that had anything at all to do with Easter Sunday. One was a damning article about how certain churches had refused to close their doors in America on Easter Sunday. And another one was about how St. Peter's Basilica was empty and the Pope was having to do Easter Sunday Mass to nobody there at all. People are very suspicious of organized religion, but at the same time, people are asking all sorts of questions about reality, about life, about the universe, about everything right now. And I think as Christians, we've got an amazing opportunity to show people a better way of living, but it has to be a better way of living. It's not okay for us to simply go, this is truth and this is what we believe and you should believe it too. People are looking for ways to do life right now that matter. And if they see an angry church, if they say an inward focused church, if they see a protectionist church, if they see a church which is all about us and not about the world around us, then I guarantee that people will go and find answers in things which offer a better news story to that. 
And that's why when we set up Vintage Pasadena, the very first thing that I actually put on my wall in my office was this little thing. I took a picture of it because it's still up on my wall. It says this, how will the poor win? Now, I realize that's a terrible phrase. I realize it's a terrible statement. I realize that's probably not very helpful in its language. But what I was trying to remind myself was, and I remind myself of it every single day, is that we're called to build a church in Vintage Pasadena that is so much more and just what is good for me and what is just good for the people who come on Sunday. We are people called to be good news in the world. And I believe as we become people who are good news in the world, that actually people will be totally open to experiencing the source of that good news, which is Jesus. That's also why when this coronavirus hit, we set to $10,000 of our own finance, which is a very big deal to a church plant. And we set it aside to be good news. And we've already started this last few weeks to give it away to individuals and to organizations who are working with those who are really struggling in this time. It's why we're partnering with Door of Hope. It's why we're partnering with STARS. I think this is an incredible opportunity. It's an opportunity for our lives to be refocused, to focus on God, to focus on the neighbors, the people that we pass who are struggling right now. It's an opportunity for our hearts to be refocused in the right way. And it's an opportunity for us as a church to be the very good news that God has invited us to be. And so as I pray in a moment, I want to leave you with one final question, which is a very practical one, which is this, how this coming week will you be a good neighbor? Where is God offering you opportunities to show neighborliness this week? Who is the person? Where is the situation Who needs our care? Who needs to see God's love in action this week?